This podcast is intended to provide information for educational purposes only and to serve as a starting point for you to have a conversation with your personal physician. Nothing stated on this podcast should be considered medical advice. Consult with your physician before undertaking or changing any treatment plan. Welcome to the Pound of Cure podcast. We are back for another episode. I'm Zoe Schroeder, registered dietitian. Matt Weiner, bariatric surgeon and non-surgical weight loss specialist. And we've got a really great show for you today. We are going to cover a bunch of topics like we always do. Topics include weight loss surgery versus Ozempic. Our patient story is weight regain after a sleeve and how they were able to find success afterward. Post-vacation groceries tip, stomach size after surgery, specifically sleeve gastrectomy, cottage cheese, the Sadie procedure, iron supplementation, question from a patient who has unintentional rapid weight loss five years after surgery, and eating meat as a snack. Meat snack. Meat snack. All right, so let's start with the news. In the news, this is, comes from an article in the Atlantic, and the, top, the, the title of the article is, We've had a cheaper, more potent Ozempic alternative for decades. And I love this article because it really talked about the neurohormonal shifts of bariatric surgery surgery, and GLP-1 medications. And this is something we see. I mean, really, Zoe and I, we're on the front lines of this. We're talking to dozens and dozens, if not hundreds of patients a week about their experience on GLP-1 meds, on bariatric surgery, and we're seeing so many parallels. And I think this article really talks about how bariatric surgery is so safe, and it really is so safe. I sleep well at night. My phone doesn't wake me up at two in the morning with some patient in some amount of trouble. Everybody does great. They all go home the day after surgery and we see almost no complications. I literally go years without having a serious complication in our practice. And so we're able to to do these surgeries so safely. They do drive this incredibly powerful neurohormonal shift. We talked last week about the cost of these medications and how distorted they are. But anyway, bariatric surgery is relatively expensive and it's the one and done option here. And we, we go through this with every patient in our practice. But I actually really love their conclusion at the end, which is that if there is a perfect option for long-term, durable, successful weight loss, it's maybe not bariatric surgery or medications, but the combination of the two, mm. along with, of course, a good nutritional program. Right. Something I was just actually thinking about is like, if somebody were to be, let's say, self-pay, trying to determine whether it would be a better option to do the meds versus getting surgery... Like, it seems like getting surgery would would be the, the cheapest option, honestly, right? At our current price, $1,000 a month, I mean, our self-pay price for surgery in the U.S., and we have actually pretty competitive self-pay prices, I think 15000 bucks, give or take. These are actually on our website. Mm-hmm. 15000 bucks for a sleeve, 17000 for a gastric bypass. So if you're paying 1000 bucks a month, which is really at this point, like right now, that's what you got to pay if you want to get the real meds. Right. And that gives you 15 months. A Lot, you know? <laughs> yeah, yeah. This and and you know these surgeries give you a lot of weight loss over a very long right, period of time. Right. So I think right now we're seeing that if we're, we're talking twenty bucks a month, like we talked about last episode, I think the meds are going to be cheaper. Right. I think both of these are are costs that are affordable within our healthcare system if the medications are priced appropriately. Right. I'm hoping within you know three to five years, this is going to become a decision that people are making about the treatments, not necessarily about the cost. Mm-hmm. I think right now, unfortunately, it is often a very cost based decision. 
but it was great seeing this discussion about obesity as a metabolic disease and the treatment is based in pharmacology and medicine and these neurohormonal shifts. That's what we've been preaching for over a decade now. I love that this is kind of finally coming out into the zeitgeist and being part of the popular press. Yeah, and also because Ozempic and GLP-1s are so clickbaity, buzzworthy right now, and it's important to recognize that we don't have to always buy into the hype of something and yeah. to rely on the science, which is part of why we're here doing this podcast. Who's the author on this here? Let's give this author a shout out because he or she really did a great job. Yasmin Tayag, and this is in the Atlantic. You know, we've had some articles in the past. It was all clickbait and they just kind of push the envelope in terms of trying to get you to pay attention to the disasters of this and really often speaking with medical inaccuracies. But this was an incredibly well-researched, well-thought-out article that synced very much with what we're seeing on a daily basis. So, so good job, Atlantic, for putting that article out there. Yeah. Nice. Okay, patient story. So this patient had sleeve gastrectomy 12 years ago in another state, and they started weighing almost 375 pounds. They dropped down to 250 pounds after their sleeve, which they were still overweight, but that's a huge amount. I mean, you lose 125 pounds. That's a life-changing amount of weight. Mm -hmm. And over time, they've slowly gained back up to 310 pounds. So they're still 65 pounds down from where they started. They joined our nutrition program, and also was started on Ozempic at the same time. And they really had a tremendous weight loss response. So at their last visit, they actually weighed 250 pounds. So they lost all of their weight regain and we hadn't even maxed out the Ozempic and they weren't really into the, you know, we'll see weight loss, especially with Monjaro. We'll see weight loss 18 months. It takes 18 months to get the weight off with Monjaro. And the, the most recent study showed that there's still substantial weight loss the second year after starting Monjaro. And so this patient really hadn't maxed out. We weren't at the highest dose and they're on Ozempic, which is we go over your semaglutide. Again, in a couple of weeks, we're going to have Monjaro out as a weight weight loss option. And honestly, at that point, I, I think most people are going to say, you know, we go V who. Yeah. It's going to completely replace Wegovy because it's so much more effective. So because this is a journey, right? Our weight loss is a journey. We're starting on Ozempic. We're probably going to move this patient on to Monjaro. And my prediction is we're going to see weight in the low 200s as a final stable weight. And I think that just this patient really shows two things. The first is this is a long journey and it takes time. And there was a moment, I'm sure, where she said, I'm a failure. Mm -hmm. This didn't work for me. I'm regaining all my weight. But at this point, nobody has to be a failure. The only time you become a failure is if you give up. Right. And so we've got great treatment options. We've got a great nutrition program. And she really embraced all of this. And we're not done. We're not done here. And, and I think we're going to see they're going to reach a weight far lower than their lowest post-operative weight and have the tools to maintain it for a long time. How motivating. Yeah. Too good for them. Yeah. Yeah. Fantastic. All right. Next, we have our nutrition segment. So because it's the holidays, I'm sure there's a lot of travel going on. The last thing I want to do, I'm sure a lot of people can relate to this, the last thing you want to do when you are, like, let's say Sunday afternoon, you're getting back in from being gone over the weekend, you have laundry going, you have to unpack this, that, and the other. The last thing you want to do is go to the grocery store, right? I experience this in myself and patients I talk with all the time. It's like, if you do not go to the grocery store that Sunday or whenever you get back, what happens when you get back to work? Life gets back in the swing of things. It's hectic. And then you're more likely to just go ahead and get takeout Monday night and then I'll go to the store tomorrow and then tomorrow comes. And it's just 
it's a snowball that we can actually prevent. So my little nutrition tip actually has to do with ordering your groceries. So what I like to do is while I'm still away is actually go on the app or the website or wherever you or you can order your groceries, place your grocery delivery to be dropped off at your house within the hour that you get home. And then it's one less thing you have to think about. You're all set up for success for the week. You can get right back into your routine knowing you have a stocked fridge and pantry with nutritious foods and one less thing that you have to go do. Yeah, you also don't have all the temptations of the grocery store. Yeah. All the end caps and the Oreos. Have you seen how many different types of Oreos there are? I know. It's always I mean, something new. Like 50 different types. It's crazy. The thins, the double stuffs, the mints. You know, they just got over the pumpkin. Well, and that kind of goes along with something that I talk about in one of my nutrition classes about navigating the grocery store. I'm sure you've heard the phrase, in order to eat healthy, you have to eat on the perimeter. That's hogwash, to be honest. <laughs> like, think about what else is on the perimeter. The bakery, yeah. the alcohol section, yeah. the end caps of bazillion different Oreos. So I get sidetracked. But don't think that you can only shop on the perimeter in order to eat healthy, nutritious foods. Yeah. No, I think they know that and they put all their garbage on the perimeter too <laughs> yeah. for you. Yeah. Oh, people are thinking that they are eating healthy. <laughs> yeah. All right. So let's move into our user questions. As always, we have Sierra here. As always, it was only in the last podcast we started doing <laughs> this, but we've got Sierra here to read us the questions. And these are questions that come to us through social media. And uh, a lot of times they're, they're, you know, people pose these questions and we want to be able to answer them. But, you know, I just, I can't type on the phone and, and put, give that kind of answer. So we use this opportunity to reach out and give people an in-depth answer to their questions. So Sierra, why don't you read the first question for us? The first question is from YouTube on the video, why did I regain weight after my gastric band and gastric sleeve? RG dash HF. What up, RG? <laughs> <laughs> I lost 70 pounds with my gastric sleeve, could have afforded to lose another 20 pounds, but I was happy with this amount, looked and felt great. The first two years were okay. The ghrelin that disappeared comes back. In no time, I was able to eat more than I should. Fast forward, I regained everything. I am very unhappy. I think not enough stomach was removed. I was able to eat portions that I shouldn't have been able to so soon. I never hear MDs discuss that they were too conservative in sizing the stomach. So let's talk about sleeve gastrectomy. And the topic that you'll hear discussed that kind of goes into this is bougie size. So a bougie is just a plastic tube that while you're asleep is not something you would want placed into your mouth while you were awake or down through your esophagus. But while you're asleep, the anesthesiologist places this plastic tube in and they come in different sizes. So the size is measured in French. I personally use a 34 French. Some people talk about 30 French being the optimal size or 36. French. The truth is, a French is a third of a millimeter. Oh. So if we're talking about two French, we're talking difference. We're talking about two thirds of a millimeter. It is a negligible difference. But we put this tube into the stomach and essentially kind of go and staple up along this tube. Now you can certainly leave too much stomach behind if you're an inexperienced surgeon. But the truth is, I, I've seen a lot of patients with weight regain, and I'll do endoscopies and we'll work them up and, and looking for things like this. I have seen a few scenarios where clearly enough stomach was not removed. And I believe that that was part of the reason for the, the weight loss. I don't necessarily think that's the case here. And the reason is they lost 70 pounds. So they did actually have 
pretty good weight loss. And we don't get the starting weight again on our website. And I think in previous show notes, we have a calculator that we use and we'll put it in these show notes as well. You can also get it on our website. Yeah, on the website. So, yeah. so we have a calculator that you can use to calculate how much weight you would lose after surgery and kind of put in your starting weight and everything like that. And it'll tell you what you lose at one year out and factors in your age and diabetes and a couple other things that influence weight loss. And so you can plug your numbers into this calculator and see, my guess is you probably were right there because 70 pounds is pretty decent weight loss after a sleeve. So that to me says we probably didn't deal with not enough stomach being removed. There's easy tests and upper GI can tell you that where you swallow some barium and we take some x-rays. That's probably not the cause. To me, this actually sounds like something I see very frequently in the office after a sleeve. And something we kind of say in, you know, in the bariatric groups as surgeons is that the stomach helps you get the weight off, but it's the intestine that helps keep the weight off. And so that's why gastric bypass and the SADI procedure has much more durable weight loss compared with the sleeve. I, I hope you listen to the first segment of this where we talked about essentially someone who's exactly in your shoes but hasn't started on the GLP-1. So this, to me, this is again pretty easy. We're going to put this person on some form of, of GLP-1 medication like we, we go via Ozempic, Monjaro, something along those lines. And most likely we'll see substantial amount of weight come off. I would be surprised if they can get on the right medication if we get those last 20 pounds off as well. And my hunch is this wasn't related to the bougie size. I think if you had it done by a competent surgeon, they're going to do it the same way every time. This is not a judgment call. This is a pretty standard thing. You know, when I do a surgery, I don't say, you know, maybe this time I'm going to do it this way. It's the exact same way. Every suture is cut the same way. My assistant, Deidre, she retracts this way at this point and this way at that point. We have this thing choreographed like a Broadway play. I mean, every single move is I don't say anything to my tech. She just hands the instruments to me. She knows exactly what's next. So most surgeons who do a reasonable volume are going to do their surgery the exact same way every time. Mm -hmm. That's how you get repeatable results. So most likely, I'd be surprised that that's what we're dealing with here. Yeah. And I just, I just what you mentioned, like there's no reason why we wouldn't be able to see that additional weight loss. And just want to kind of mirror something I think we said in the last episode, or, or maybe it was this one. I can't remember. You're not a failure. I know you might be feeling unhappy in your body in this moment, but take this as the opportunity to pause and pivot rather than spiral. Okay, you've got this. Next question is from YouTube um, from the video, Why You Should Avoid Refined Oil in Dairy. Um, this is from Ileana67. What is your opinion on cottage cheese? Well, cottage cheese is having a moment. I don't know if you knew that or not. I didn't know that. Actually. Yeah, well, for whatever reason, it has resurfaced. I remember eating cottage cheese growing up. Like it was always served like as a side dish along with our salads and that kind of thing. Yeah. Whatever. It doesn't matter. Cottage cheese is having a moment. And I think the reason why is because it is very high protein. So cottage cheese is one of those protein sources that we actually do recommend in those early stages yeah. post-op during the soft food phase. I do generally recommend if you are choosing to uh, have cottage cheese. Now, of course, we're trying to limit your overall dairy intake. We don't want to be eating too much dairy all the time. But the reality is, is that cottage cheese is a high protein. If you're going with the low fat or no fat, that's a good option to kind of keep the 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 ratios, we talk a lot in with in our nutrition sessions about the 10 to 1 ratio for picking out 
protein, lean protein sources. And so my, my take is it's a great option. It is versatile. I wouldn't recommend having it all the time, but in a pinch, it's a great, easy protein source. If you're enjoying our podcast, please consider joining our online nutrition program. It's just like the podcast, but you get to join in the show. Dr. Weiner, myself, and our peer leaders host over 25 support groups weekly over Zoom and cover all the same topics that you enjoy listening to every week. Whether you're just focusing on nutrition using the Pound of Cure approach, are taking a GLP-1 medication, or have had or are planning to have bariatric surgery, we can help you maximize your weight loss efforts. To join our affordable program for unlimited access to our group nutrition sessions, go to www.poundofcureweightloss.com nutrition. You can also check the show notes for the link. We hope to see you on Zoom soon. I think I totally agree on that one, especially post-surgical in the first yeah. first few weeks. It's a lifesaver. Okay. Well, since we're talking about cottage cheese, I have to share something <laughs> that I made. Well, two things that I, okay, I'll share both of the things that I've made recently <laughs> with cottage joy. cheese because they're actually so tasty. The first one being a high protein mac and cheese, utilizing blended cottage cheese with some paprika and garlic and, you know, different stuff. And then utilizing chickpea pasta. Yeah. So I actually made it this weekend. Chickpea pasta, your blended cottage cheese mixture, put that together. Um, of course, veggies on the side, but talk about a high protein and yeah. very filling because the chickpea oh. pasta is super high fiber. As we actually discussed in the last episode, the importance of fiber and how it can actually mimic the GLP-1 hormone. So if you missed that episode, definitely go back and watch it because we kind of dove a little bit deeper into how fiber can actually mimic the hormones that were that the Ozempic and, and the GLP-1 medications do. But regardless, it was tasty. Yeah. <laughs> I, I think that chickpea pasta What's amazing is like if, if you put a plate of regular pasta in front of me, mm-hmm. it's like I can almost feel like the drive to eat. Like that stuff hits your brain and it's like, go. You just can't get enough. You can't stop eating. And it's like you almost never feel full. And then finally you stop and you're like, oh, that was a lot, right? <laughs> but with the chickpea pasta, it's so it's such a different experience. You don't get that drive yeah. to overeat. You feel very satisfied with it. So And I love it. It's only one ingredient. Yeah. When we're talking about as little processed, you know, little ingredients as possible. Uh, they should pay me. I talk about it so much. <laughs> <laughs> we'll see if we can set up some <laughs> Next question was from the YouTube video, gastric sleeve versus gastric bypass. What's the difference? 2023. This is from Fiano. What is your opinion of the Sadie operation? It looks to be the best of both worlds. Love your channel, but I've never seen you discuss it. The SADI procedure, which stands for single anastomosis duodenal ileal bypass, is a procedure where we start with a sleeve and then just after the stomach, we divide the sleeve and then we bring a very distal segment of the intestine up like a loop. Hmm. So a duodenal switch is kind of like a gastric bypass where it's divided like a Y, but this is almost like it just brings it around. We call it an omega loop because it makes an omega shape and we kind of swing up the intestine around And so it offers kind of a partial bypass. So this is a relatively new surgery. The first issue with the SADI procedure is it's not covered by a lot of insurance. Getting it approved by insurance companies can be very, very difficult. So that's the first obstacle we have to face. And and I think a lot of these processes are complex enough that 
we start throwing that in there and it just becomes a really difficult um, decision. The second is, is that we're definitely going to see more malnutrition issues. So iron deficiency, vitamin D deficiency, particularly the fat soluble vitamins, A, D, E, and K. We're going to see more deficiencies than we see with a gastric bypass. We will see a little bit of extra weight loss. And so we'll, that we, you do lose more weight with a SADI procedure compared to a gastric bypass. And I think a lot of this, there was a trend up until very recently to kind of be more and more aggressive. As we were able to do these surgeries more and more safely, we can start making these procedures more aggressive and driving more weight loss to counteract the weight regain that we're seeing. We're also seeing so much weight regain after a sleeve that this is a great option because the sleeve's already done and you just have loop up the intestine and it's a pretty straightforward procedure. Now with the GLP-1 medication, my suspicion is we're going to see us kind of back off on the invasiveness. Because once you do the surgery, you buy yourself all these malnutrition issues. I think the other concern I have for the SADI procedure is we see a lot of heartburn or reflux after a sleeve. Now, I can solve that problem like that. Convert to a gastric bypass, did it today, 90 minutes, no big deal, patient goes home tomorrow, heartburn is gone. Now, with a SADI, remember, we still have a sleeve. And so if you develop acid reflux after a SADI procedure, because we've divided the stomach downstream, we've looped this intestine around, it is not a simple 90-minute procedure to convert to a bypass or somehow address this acid reflux. So again, my motto is I don't create disasters. Or if I do a sleeve and someone has acid reflux, we talked about it up front, and I got a fix that I can do safely for you. Nobody wants two surgeries. But if that's your journey and it ends up working for you, that, you know, that's still generally okay for most patients. So reflux after a SADI does not have a good answer. I don't see it talked about enough in the literature and we're definitely going to see it. Mm. And so that's my biggest concern is I like to have every option mapped out when I do these procedures. And I think what I see such great results um, with is a sleeve plus the GLP-1 medications. They work so well together that, you know, if this is my family member, I'm going to start with sleeve and, and add the GLP-1s in rather than get really aggressive surgically. Well, and also nutritionally, like you mentioned, more prone to malnutrition, specifically with those fat-soluble vitamins like vitamin D, that malabsorption, you can sometimes need to take so much yeah. extra vitamin D in order to make up for it. And of course, getting your labs checked and, and knowing kind of exactly what your supplementation should look like is important there. But just another thing to keep in mind, you know, if we're trying to improve quality of life, decrease, you know, the amount of supplements and medications you're taking, then this might be one of those places where it would actually increase. Yeah. Yeah. It's, there's certainly, it's a growing procedure, but I don't know. I'm not hundred percent sold on the future of this one. I, I tend to be a late adopter to these kind of things. Mm. I'm, for me, it's about, I just want to do this surgery and have it so dialed in and kind of taking on new things and being experimental. I don't work as part of a university. Honestly, I don't work with residents. Um, and so I kind of consider myself just a production guy. Like you, yeah, I'm going to do a, I do a lot of surgery and I do it well and that's kind of my role in life. So I think there there is possibly a role for this. Um, we're seeing it a little bit more at the academic institutions uh, than we are out in private practice. Next question is from the website from Jeanine. I understand ferrous bisglycinate is chelated and is supposed to be well tolerated. Is it okay after a bypass? Yeah. 
we actually see our patients tend to tolerate ferrous bisglycinate better. And if you're, you know, experiencing the constipation, some of the GI complications that maybe other forms of iron may cause you, definitely give the ferrous bisglycinate a try. You can actually order it from our website. We have a couple of really great options there for you as well as with a discount. So who doesn't want to save some money? So yeah, you can definitely head over to poundofcureweightloss.com, click on nutrition, recommended products, and you'll see all of the vitamin, mineral, and other really awesome products that we recommend uh, all listed on that page. Yeah. I don't I don't know why anybody sells ferrosulfate. I mean ferrosulfate is really poorly tolerated. Is it cheaper? Maybe it's cheaper to make? Our ferrous bisglycinate is super, super cheap. cheap. Yeah. Yeah, it's really cheap. I mean, I can't imagine it being, I mean, we're talking literally dollars a month in different. Yeah. I don't understand why anybody prescribes or uses ferrous sulfate anymore. I think this that, that really just needs to go away and we need to move to the chelated iron supplements. Next question is from Instagram, your metabolic thermostat. And this is from Jay Larson. Is it normal for a rapid 20 pound weight loss five years post-bypass? No, not at all. There's no, no specification as to whether this was intentional weight loss through dieting or not. My suspicion is based on the question, no, it, it was not intentional weight loss. I think there's very few things that are going to get my attention from a patient than unintentional weight loss. Mm. When you're not trying and you lose 20 pounds relatively rapidly, that's generally a sign that there's something going on. This is a classic scenario for a marginal ulcer. So a marginal ulcer is where the stomach and the small intestine join right on the margin of that connection. You can develop an ulcer in the lining of the small intestine. These ulcers are typically caused by NSAID use, like Advil, Aleve, Ibuprofen, and Aspirin. That's why we, we recommend against NSAID use after gastric bypass. It can be caused by alcohol use, and the most common cause is tobacco. Mm. So smoking has almost a guarantee that you're going to develop a marginal ulcer. And these things are pretty miserable. You develop total food aversions. Food becomes disgusting. It becomes very difficult to eat. You lose your appetite. We see profound iron deficiency. And so this person is going to end up being on a lot of ferrous bisglycinate. And so I think this is someone who needs to seek medical attention. If you have unintentional weight loss, that is not a lucky bonus for you, that is potentially a sign of something dangerous. And, and I think this person needs to reach out to their bariatric surgeon, to their PCP, to whoever they can trust in their healthcare world to get a little bit more treatment. And the diagnosis for this is an endoscopy where you put you to sleep and use a camera to look down into your esophagus and look at that ulcer. And they're typically treated with medications. With medications, we'll usually get them to resolve, but it can take time, especially if you're currently using tobacco. The other thing is that they can bleed and perforate. And if they bleed and perforate, that obviously can be a much bigger problem. But thankfully, they're fairly uncommon. I do not see a lot of marginal ulcers in our practice. Oh, that's good. I see a couple a year, but it's certainly not, not with a lot of frequency. Mm -hmm. So it sounds like being really aware of like those lifestyle habits and factors that you can do to try to minimize your risk yeah. for development. Yeah, steroids too. Steroids can cause mm -hmm. it if you're on prednisone or something like that. Okay. Next question is from our website from Kate. She says, can I eat meat as a snack? 
pop an ounce of chicken into my mouth with a few veggies? Is it better to eat three times a day and just get all that meat in at once? Meat snacks. I'm here <laughs> for the meat snacks. Honestly, if it's a, I think this is a classic case of nutrition being very individualized, yeah. right? We have our general recommendations and in the program and the types of food we want to be eating, but your lifestyle, your preferences, your ha- like, it, it's all very personal. So if you like eating those mini meals, maybe a, a bite of chicken and a few veggies spread throughout the day versus sitting down and eating several ounces in one sitting, do it. That's great. Yeah. And actually, I, I kind of like the idea of that, you know, kind of steady throughout the day it helps with managing your blood sugar, help with having your energy, you know, more stabilized throughout the day. So I support the meat snacks. Yeah, I think this gets back to something you talk so much about, which is mindful eating. Mm-hmm. And, yeah. if, and if meat works for you, then it works for you. You know, we don't want people eating tons of animal protein. Animal protein is something you should keep to a relative minimum. But if this is something that allows you to feel comfortable and full throughout the day and just follow a pretty good diet that somewhat resembles our metabolic reset diet, go for it. Yeah. Well, I think that pretty much wraps up this episode. So I think we have another great one in the books as we continue to help you achieve health and happiness through sustainable weight loss. Happy holidays. Thank you for listening to the Pound of Cure Weight Loss Podcast. We'd love to hear from you on your favorite social media platform. Check us out at at a pound of cure. If you're in Arizona and would like to become a patient in our practice, please call our office to schedule either an in-person or telemedicine appointment.